1: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables.
2: Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the Internet, and also new listeners who are joining us on affiliates in New York, New Hampshire, Texas, Illinois, California, and from coast to coast, including the beautiful shores of Hawaii. In just a moment, Emmy Award-winning journalist and political analyst Mr. Juan Williams will be joining the program to give us an insider's look at the GOP and Democratic primaries and also tell us about his latest book, We the People. You know Williams for his regular commentary on Fox News and his insightful writing for the Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and other leading periodicals, and we're fortunate to have a few minutes with him to discuss what is shaping up to be a busy and long race to the White House. But before Mr. Williams joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Juan Antonio Williams was born in Cologne, Panama. He attended high school in Poughkeepsie, New York, and earned his undergraduate degree from Haverford College. Williams spent 23 years with the Washington Post and 10 years with NPR covering political campaigns and news in our nation's capital. He has interviewed Presidents Reagan, Bush Sr., Clinton, George W. and Obama, and has done so with great clarity in class. In addition to winning an Emmy Award, he has received widespread critical acclaim for his writing. And in 1997, Williams joined the Fox News Channel as a regular contributor and co host of The Five. He provides political analysis as a panelist on Fox News Sunday, Special Report with Brent Barr, and subsequently. For host Bill O'Reilly on the O'Reilly Factor. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report Emmy Award winning journalist, author, and political analyst, Mr. Juan Williams. Welcome to the program, Mr. Williams.
3: Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Rebecca, and thank you so much. I love straight talk. I love that idea, and congratulations. <laughs> Hawaii, wow, everybody's listening. They are. They're listening coast to
2: coast. So we'll try to make it a fun conversation today. This week was a big week in the 2016 primary. So let's start with the GOP race first. Trump had a clean sweep of every single county in all five states. So it's presently looking as if Donald Trump may roll into the convention slightly shy of meeting the 1,237 threshold uh, of delegates to secure the party's nomination. Now, now the number crunchers say he may be as few as 50 delegates short. So according to the rules which have already been established, that necessarily means a contested convention, doesn't it?
3: No. uh, You know, I think that there are some people who are, you know, what they call unbounded delegates, Rebecca, Mm -hmm. and they are subject to persuasion. Uh, And persuasion could include a ride on the big Trump jet, (laughs) or it could include, uh, you know, promise of future jobs. Uh, You got to remember going back to the seventy-six convention, the last time the Republicans had anything close to a a contest at the convention, uh, Ronald Reagan who was then challenging Gerald Ford, uh, said, you know, hey, to some of the delegates, would you like to meet with me and talk? And you know what? I could bring my friends, John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. I bet you'd like to meet them, too. So that kind of horse trading is natural. And I think Trump, with his great wealth and fame, um, I think he could persuade 50 to 100 delegates to, eh, come on over. And uh, you also must factor in, Rebecca, one more thing, which is, Republicans of every flavor are telling pollsters they think that no matter if he doesn't get to 1237, but if he holds the most votes, the most delegates, in other words, 1237 would give him a majority. But let's say he just has a plurality and, and is clearly ahead of everyone else going into the convention. It's overwhelming. Close to 70% of Republicans say that person, Donald Trump or anyone else, should be declared the winner.
2: Now, what about these stories we hear that delegates who are committed to Trump may have secretly agreed to support a different candidate if the convention went to a second ballot? Is there any real evidence that that was in the works?
3: Well, yes. Um, In fact, Ted Cruz says uh, that he really not only that he's been doing it, but you see it if you go out and talk to the delegates, you know, delegate slates are put together to support the person who has the most votes but those delegates themselves once you get beyond the first round of balloting are free agents and they can switch and in many cases these people have in fact pledged to support Ted Cruz on a second or third ballot uh and we see that and we see that in fact Donald Trump has not been playing that game so there is a reality there but again it would create such animosity, such bitterness within the party because, as I told you a moment ago, it's overwhelming that most Republicans, and especially especially supporters of Donald Trump, feel that he has won the most votes, he has the most delegates, and even if he doesn't get to 1237, gosh, why would you deny the person who has you know, lapped the field as we said yesterday, winning all five of the states and every county within that state, within those states, how can you deny that person the nomination?
2: Now, it seems like these uh, maneuvers that Cruz has been making, such as, okay, you're agreeing that you'll switch from Trump if there's a second ballot in a contested convention, and okay, I'm going to join with Kasich to try to block Trump from getting the needed 1237 it almost feels as though there's a blowback from that.
3: I agree with you. And, you know, it's a surprise to me because, as you told your listeners at the very top, I've been doing politics, you know, since 1976 when I started at the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. And so I'm an old-timer in this game. And, And alliances and political divisions and all the kinds of tangle lines that maybe your listeners are familiar with from shows like Game of Thrones or The Sopranos or or Veep or any of those shows, you know that people will operate in their self-interest and, you know, an enemy of my enemy can be my friend today. So the idea that Trump calls this collusion, Rebecca, as a collusion as in a corrupt and illegal business transaction, you know, where you have two monopolies locked into collusion to punish a small competitor... Uh, that that's not accurate here. It's just it's just really hardball politics that's going on. But that's on. such
2: a powerful word.
3: It is a powerful word, you know, and wisely chosen by Mr. Trump.
2: Yeah, but it's just so powerful because the minute you say collusion, it you know those cells touch in my head with conspiracy.
3: Absolutely, it suggests a lack of transparency and illegal behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but I must say, it's not the case that they've been hiding it, they announced that they were engaged in this alliance. (laughs) It wasn't a uh, secret collusion. (laughs) No, there's nothing secret about it, and there's nothing illegal about it. I tell you what it does smack of in my brain cells, Rebecca, which is desperation, that uh, they're looking for any way to try to stop Donald Trump from getting to that 1237, uh, because right now Cruz does not have any way to get to 1237 himself. Kasich certainly does not. Um, so their only hope is to have an open convention and then try to make the case to the delegates that they can do a better job in the general election against Hillary Clinton.
2: That's right. Well, both of them, Kasich and Cruz, have no chance unless they go to a contested convention. That's right. And, and so it makes sense that they would join together. They have a common goal.
3: Well, It does. But again, if you are someone who's a supporter of Donald Trump, and that those numbers seem to be growing in the Republican ranks. I mean, you know, on Tuesday, he was now clearing 50 percent regularly. I think he cleared 50 percent in four of the five. Yeah, with three
2: contestants. And he made the point that's hard to do.
3: That's really hard to do. So. And the other interesting thing that came out of Tuesday's races, Rebecca, was the number of Republicans who said they would never vote for Cruz. And we know that there's yeah. a high number who say they'll never vote for Trump, but that was exceeded yesterday by people who said they'd, they'd never vote for Cruz.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And we have that going on in the Democratic Party as well. Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more from Juan Williams. You're listening to The Costa Report. As a mother, you don't wanna have to worry about this bill is coming, but then she needs this chemo. That's a decision you shouldn't have to make. It's a huge burden lifted,
4: financially, and so it allows you to give singular focus to your child. I've
0: never known a hospital that takes care of their patients so thoroughly. That was the first thing I was like, how are we gonna do this? When they told us that we didn't have to pay a single bill, I was like, wow. They pretty much have saved us.
5: It's like the world has been lifted off of your shoulders, and now your focus is supporting this child. There is not
2: another hospital like St. Jude. The patient care is unmatchable. It saved my life. It saved my daughter's life. It saved our family. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Caraccioli
1: sellers recently celebrated their fifth anniversary of their tasting room. This is what Enophiles had to say.
6: My name is Samantha Cooper. The wines are so beautifully crafted, and you take so much time and effort that goes into making it uh, four years to make one bottle of wine, and they're just beautifully crafted, and they come out so amazing. My favorite would have to be the Brut Rosé. It's very near and dear to my heart. It was my wedding wine, actually. They loved it.
3: Edmund Benich. Uh, I love
1: the cuvee. I love the sparkle. It tickles my nose.
6: Sarah Hines. I've been
3: drinking Caraccioli for five years, and I love it. You know, I'm across the board on this. I've been drinking their sparkling wine for some time, and I love them all. I entertain a lot. I enjoy entertaining
2: using the Caraccioli wines.
3: Visit the Caraccioli Tasting
2: Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea or find us online at CaraccioliCellars.com or reach us by phone at 831-622-7722. Are things
6: getting a little messy around the office? At Coast Paper and Supply, we'll meet all your janitorial needs. Mops, dusters, disinfectants? We got them. Can't get rid of that smell in the break room? Try our deodorizer. Carpet stains? We have a cure for that too. While you're at it pick up the essentials, garbage cans and liners, sponges and brooms. Is your company going green? Coast Paper and Supply is offering earth-friendly cleaning and food service alternatives. Our ever-evolving stock includes compostable bowls, plates, cups, and cutlery. Not to mention eco-friendly cleaners and biodegradable trash can liners all at the lowest possible price. So come visit Coast Paper and Supply at 151 Josephine Street, or look us up at CoastPaperSupplyInc.com. You can also call us at 831-423-3350. That's 831-423-3350.
1: If you're the type of person who likes to volunteer and help others, this should interest you. What better way to help people than to help them overcome their health challenges? Longevity has been helping people overcome their health challenges for years. Our approach to health is drastically different than medical doctors who mostly only treat symptoms. As a veterinarian, Dr. Joel Wallach discovered that many common disease states are actually preventable and reversible. Our mission at Longevity is to educate Americans about their own health. If you like helping people, join us in our fight to save America. While you're helping people prevent, and overcome health challenges, you will also be able to build a lucrative home-based business. So what are you waiting for? Come join us and help save America. For more information or to order, call Andy or Phyllis Anderson at 888-245-0300. That's 888-245-0300.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Emmy Award-winning journalist and political analyst, Juan Williams. So let's switch gears and talk about the Democratic race. Um, When we went to the break, you mentioned it's come to light that a large number of Trump supporters have indicated they will not support Cruz, and similarly, a large number of Bernie Sanders supporters are saying that they will not vote for Hillary Clinton if she's the nominee, and that they would rather vote for Trump. Uh, what do you make of that?
3: Well, I think there's some reality that, you know, there's a real populist, anti-establishment energy behind both Sanders and Trump. And, I, it, you know, obviously, there are great ideological divisions as well. Sanders calling himself a socialist, Rebecca. So, In terms of that ideology, you'd say, hey, Donald Trump is a billionaire and clearly a man who has strong uh, belief in capitalism. But you stop and think about it. They're both really hard on Wall Street. They're hard on trade deals. They say that the working class in America has been unattended. Um, Without a doubt, most of their backers in both cases are white. Uh, So we can see these similarities. And yesterday in Pennsylvania, uh, the head of the Republican Party said that he believes that a large number of Democrats or people who were previously Democrats had changed registration in order to back Donald Trump. So the Trump campaign is very hopeful that that signals a potential source of support going toward the general election.
2: Well, and he also claims that uh, New York is in play.
3: Well, oh boy, Rebecca! <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't think so. Is I think that that's fantasy? A pretty I, I,
2: well, I know, but everything he says comes to pass. That's the that's the amazing thing.
3: Well, you know what you just said is so chastening <laughs> for me as someone who covers politics, because I never would have predicted to you if if we were doing this show you know, in April of 2015, I would, and you said, what do you think about Donald Trump's chances of becoming the Republican nominee? I would say, well, I don't think that's going to happen, Rebecca, but look where we are a year later in April of 2016, uh, you know, short of something really stupendous changing at a calamitous convention in Cleveland, he will be the nominee. Last night, uh, Tuesday night, he called himself the presumptive Republican nominee, and I don't think you have many people now shaking their heads in doubt about that. So I don't know what might come to pass in New York State, but I will tell you that everything we know about voters in New York State and the fact that the, the <laughs> populations are concentrated in a city like New York City, overwhelmingly Democrat, but also in the urban areas upstate uh, from Syracuse uh, to Rochester and the like, Albany, uh, it's very hard to imagine a Republican winning. And one more thought on this, Rebecca, which is that there was lots of talk about, oh my gosh, look at how excited the Republican base has been uh, during this cycle. They've been turning out in much larger numbers than Democrats to vote and participate. But what we've seen recently, especially in the Northeast, and we saw it in New York, is that you have more Democrats turning out. It was a million more in New York last night hundreds of thousands more Democrats turned out than Republicans. So I don't know what to make of it. But in terms of New York state, that doesn't bode well for the idea of flipping it from blue to red.
2: Well, but what is in play is if the Sanders voters really aren't, can't be brought over to Clinton's side and really are going to vote for Trump instead, maybe it does put New York in play.
3: Wow, that would take a lot of voters. <laughs> well, I know,
2: I know, but, but this, this is the strangest election I, I've ever covered. And, and so certainly I, I, and I haven't been doing this nearly as long as you have. So, you know, everything that we've guessed has been wrong to this point. Um, I, you know, I've just stopped making any forecasts. Um, now, you know, Clinton has not been able to energize the youth vote and the blue collar voters, um, that have been a Democratic stronghold in the past. And, you know, a lot of them are—they're leaning toward Trump. Independents also seem to be favoring Trump. So, Clinton can't win a national election without the blue-collar youth and independent vote. So, how's that? How's it going to work?
3: Well, you know, this is a really interesting point that you are raising. It's clear that you have been covering this for quite a while. You are—you ask informed questions, Rebecca. You know, one of the realities that I think is uh, almost a mirror reflection, but again tells us something about the times we live in, is that Hillary Clinton back in 2008 had the support of just the constituency that you're referencing, which is people who lived uh, in the suburbs, in the rural areas, heavily white voters, when she was running against Barack Obama. This time around, she's trying to recreate The Obama coalition, so a lot of the people who previously were Clinton backers, including blue-collar whites, uh, now they are not with her. She now has to rely on the minority vote, in specific the African-American vote, and then she's relying on older voters, and she's relying on women voters, but she has not been able to capture so far the millennial voters, including millennial women. But uh, she needs them, and she needs to have Bernie Sanders offer some kind of olive branch so that his supporters might come over to her in order for her to win in the general election.
2: But in so many ways, these Sanders supporters are passionately uh, against Clinton. They're against uh, a Beltway insider.
3: You know, it's a a
2: rebellious vote.
3: Right. So the question becomes, and you know what, we, what the two of us haven't said today, is both Clinton and Trump have very high negatives, very high historic highs in terms of people saying that they have a negative or unfavorable opinion of the candidates. Yes. So if, if you are therefore previewing what's to come in the fall campaign, you'd say, this is not a matter of I'm the better candidate, it's a matter of saying to the voters, I am the lesser of two evils, and I'm going to use my advertising dollars to drive up what is already a negative perception of my opponent, so it's even more negative than the than the public's perception of my candidacy. And I think that's what we'll see. Um, and again, Hillary Clinton, therefore, would really be saying to those young people and some of the blue-collar voters, who might be tempted to go over to the Trump side, hey, you don't want to take a risk uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, She's going to portray him as someone who is not to be trusted with America's foreign policy, the bomb, and, and our economy. And he's going to portray her as someone, he's already calling her crooked Hillary, someone who is not trustworthy, someone who is not inspiring. I could go on and on. But you can see it's a battle of the negatives.
2: So you do believe that the way that Clinton gets those Sanders voters is to say, if you don't vote for me, you're voting for that crooked capitalist Trump.
3: Yes, but Rebecca, we're stealing Donald Trump's words. But crooked Hillary, don't forget. Crooked, crooked Hillary. Hillary. All right. There you go. Okay. Don't forget.
2: I'm, I'm you're right. I've got to get the buzzwords down. I, you know, I'm, I'm not used to you know you know this. I'm not used to candidates speaking this way, and oh uh, and God. so I find it kind of shocking and. Uh, the first time I hear them say something like that, I'm I'm almost in a little bit of disbelief. Part of me is laughing uh, because it's entertaining, but the other part of me is horrified.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I got to tell you, I feel that, that way too. You yeah. I, I know, they go into some vulgar things, and I just I'm I'm amazed that this is our <laughs> presidential campaign. Oh,
2: I know, I know. It's we we has definitely have lowered the bar. We have to take another commercial break. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Costa Report.
5: Big data is being generated by everything around us all the time. Every digital process and social media exchange produce it. Systems, sensors, and mobile devices transmit it. Big data is arriving from multiple sources with ever increasing velocity, volume, and variety it's becoming the world's newest resource for competitive advantage allowing decision-making to move from the elite few to the empowered many the escalating demand for insights requires a fundamentally new approach to architecture tools and practices to extract meaningful value from big data you need optimal processing power analytics capabilities and skills find out how IBM big data and analytics can transform your business Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. That's www.ibm.com slash big data.
2: Attention, Santa Cruz County
0: employers. The PMG Workplace Wellness Program offers free wellness screenings, dynamic health
2: presentations, and can help you kickstart your employee-run wellness committee. Hi, I'm Lisa McGrath, community liaison for Physicians Medical Group of Santa Cruz. Last year, we brought health and wellness services to over 20,000 people at their place of work. This year, we're inviting Santa Cruz County employers to make 2016 the year of the well workplace. Find out what we can do for you. Contact us today by going to
4: pmgscc.com or find us on Facebook. Vroom, vroom. Hey, folks, this is Randy the Realtor. It's 2016, and I'm ready for it. How about you? If you're ready to do something with real estate this year, give me a call. Whether it's buying a home or selling a home, maybe it's downsizing, maybe it's upgrading. Call me, and I'll help you think it through and take the action you need to succeed. Call me, 831-566-2590. That's 831-566-2590.
1: So you finally decided to start taking a vitamin supplement. Those chewables and tablets are fine if you don't mind paying for something that is only absorbed about 4 to 6%. However, a liquid supplement can have a 90% absorption rate if you choose the right one. Longevity offers a wide variety of liquid supplements with a 90% absorption rate or more. Beyond Tangy Tangerine may be the best one ever invented. It starts as a liquid that is freeze-dried like those instant coffees into a crystal then all you have to do is add a couple of scoops to water. No refrigeration, no fuss, no mess. Not only do you get a complete multiple vitamin, Beyond Tangy Tangerine also has minerals and it tastes fantastic. You'll want to drink it all day long. So the next time you reach for a vitamin supplement, reach for Beyond Tangy Tangerine from Yongevity. For more information, or to order, call Andy or Phyllis Anderson at 888 245 That's 888 245 Ranger Station, Ranger speaking.
6: Yeah, hi. Uh, I'd like to report a bear sighting?
4: Location. In the forest near the side of the road. No
1: need for alarm, sir. The forest is where bears live. But
4: this was no ordinary bear. No ordinary bear? One second I'm having a smoke taken in the view. Next thing I know I am face to face with Smokey Bear.
1: Let me guess. Smokey had a tip for you. He
4: did. He must have seen me toss my cigarette on the ground. He told me never to do that because it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. He's a
1: smart bear. Did you know that nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? That means nine out of ten wildfires can be prevented.
4: That's what Smokey Smokey said. I had
5: no idea. That's why Smokey's famous, and you're not. Good point.
1: If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference, because 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. Brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. <laughs>
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa. And if you're just joining us, my guest today is Juan Williams. And we've been talking about why the 2016 race to the White House will certainly be one that political analysts will be talking about for years to come. Now, this week, uh, one of the big surprises was how much better Trump did amongst uh, um, GOP women voters, Uh, though he's traditionally polled poorly among voters, even in his own party. This past week, he managed to secure somewhere around 47 to 55 percent of the GOP women's votes in these states. What's changed?
3: Well, I think it's the idea that uh, the, 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 the train is leaving the station, Rebecca. I think it's clear that he has the edge. He's the, he looks like the winner at this point. So a lot of people are getting on the bandwagon and saying, I'm a Republican. Uh, if he's going to be the nominee, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, but as you know, he has had some difficult statements about women, uh, and it continues to be the case that overwhelmingly he's viewed negatively by American women. So, But you've got to understand, Republican women, the people voting in the Republican primaries, and yesterday's primaries I think all but one were closed, limited to only Republicans. Right. So you're talking about, then, Republican women, not the general population. And among Republican women, he'd had trouble. But as you point out yesterday, the reason that he was getting well above 50 in so many places, 50%, is because Republican women were now deciding to join his ranks and of supporters.
2: And I've also said if he selects a woman, you know, a, a um, moderate Woman VP candidate, uh, doesn't that cure a lot of it? Isn't he going to draft a lot of uh, Hillary's women support?
3: Well, I mean, I I would be dubious about that. I mm-hmm. mean, yesterday though, I thought it was interesting to listen to Ted Cruz's uh, political team. They were putting out the idea that they were already vetting vice presidential prospects, mm-hmm. and the one name that they featured was Carly Fiorina, who, as you recall, the Hewlett-Packard executive who ran for president and who had a very difficult relationship with Donald Trump. I remember his comment about her face and all the rest. So the idea was that Cruz was making himself out to be someone who is preparing to be the Republican nominee. I think he's try- he was trying to somewhat distract from all the success and and the ne- the media narrative that, oh, my gosh, it looks like Trump has won this thing. But, but Trump has said he has not begun the process of looking at vice presidential uh, prospects. Now, your suggestion, Rebecca, is, well, what if he gets a moderate woman? Well, I don't think he's going to get, uh, you know, Carly Fiorina. Sarah Palin has endorsed him. Well, I didn't guy. think he
2: was going to get Ben Carson's support. That I threw me. I certainly
3: didn't either, because remember all the things that were said between <laughs> yeah. the two of them. So,
2: uh, you know what? We've been so wrong. How can we say that Carly isn't talking to the Trump camp? I mean, that would be uh, that would probably be as surprising as Ben Carson.
3: It would be very surprising. But let's think about what you said. Would that solve Donald Trump's problem with women? Uh, And remember, again, it's likely he's going to get Republican women voters, especially older Republican women voters. But will Mm -hmm. it solve his problem with independent women voters, with conservative-leaning Democratic women voters? I don't know, uh, because there's just so many difficult issues. He said yesterday, Donald Trump, at his uh, victory speech, he said, Hillary Clinton has played the woman card. And if without playing that card, he said he didn't think she would get 5% of anybody's vote. Hmm. And uh, Hillary Clinton shot back and said, oh, she's for health care, uh, funding for Planned Parenthood and, and, and women's rights and all this, and made it and, and, uh equal pay for women. So she made it out that, yes, if that's the card, she'll play it. So the question is, Given Donald Trump's rhetoric, given her stance, how do independent, and especially independent, suburban, middle-aged women vote? Because guess what, Rebecca? Every time you see an ad in this political cycle, put on your glasses and imagine that you are a suburban, independent, white woman, and that's who the ad is written for, because that's who decides elections in America in 2016.
2: Well, there are presently no polls that I am aware of which show Trump beating Clinton in a national contest. How much do the national head-to-head polls matter during the primaries this early, especially when it comes to this election?
3: Well, what you look for there is whether or not it's well beyond the margin of error. In other words, if it shows that it's a close race, you think, you know what, things are going to change. You know, I think today, we're in late April, almost May, but we haven't really seen the Democrats begin to aggressively run advertising and try to impact, even talk about the Republicans, and the Republicans talk about the Democrats directly. You hear these little asides and snarky comments about, you know, from Trump to Clinton, but wait until the barrage starts, and it can start early. If you'll recall, in the last cycle, 2012, the Democrats, uh, with an incumbent, President Obama, began to attack the likely Republican nominee Mitt Romney pretty early because Romney was still engaged in his primary contest. Yes. And they made him into this guy who was a very rich man, out of touch with the American people. Remember the comments about 47 uh, percent, was it 41 percent, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, do. You remember all that.
2: I, oh, but, that hurt me to hear it.
3: <laughs> right. So we haven't seen that oh. from either side yet, but it's coming because now we're yeah. getting close to, you know, having two nominees. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a Trump versus Clinton contest, Trump scores uh, higher in honesty and trustworthiness, exactly where Mrs. Clinton scores poorly. And with this email scandal and her refusal to, to disclose the uh, content of speeches she was paid, uh, pretty handsome lead to finance to make to financial institutions as well as this controversy over the Clinton Foundation's use of funds are these things red herrings or are they likely to widen that trustworthiness gap
3: oh my gosh i don't think they're red herrings i think they're very real really uh- you do
2: you do you don't think that they're just kind of being floated out there as be- as potential issues you think they're going to come to fruition
3: oh, I don't know about that part, come to fruition. But I will say this, look, here's what I think is very real about it. So when I look at polling numbers, when I look at focus groups, when I talk to people and talk to people inside the campaigns, what they're saying to me, Rebecca, is there's no question Hillary Clinton's Achilles heel is trustworthiness. Lots of people, (laughs) in some cases majorities, uh, have questions about whether or not she is believable. Why do they why do they have these questions? Well, you touched on some of it. I think lots of people, even if they doubt that she might be indicted, say, well, that was a terrible idea and kind of slick that she thinks she can have her own server and go around the government uh, email operation. You know, they think, hmm, what was that about? Or they hear about the Clinton Foundation raising money while she's holding office as Secretary of State, and they think. Is that, is that proper? Is that right? Well, I don't know if anything has been proven to be illegal, but people just have a little bit of a sense of unease about it, shall I say, Rebecca. So that's very real, and I don't know, you asked me, will it come to fruition? I don't know, and I don't know if she'll be indicted. I don't know if there'll be some criminality that will be found, but I don't think there's any question that in political terms it is very real, and you can expect that Donald Trump or whomever the Republican uh, nominee will be will hammer her on just that point going into the fall election.
2: Well, to me, it just feels like too many things. You know, even if you can get rid of one, the email scandal, or even if you disclose the nature of these speeches that you made, uh, even if you could make the Clinton Foundation's use of funds and raising of money uh, go away. You, you know, it, it, when you start stacking these up too ma- there's, and there's too many of them, you can't make them all go away.
3: Well, that's the point. So the, this is why I said to you earlier in our conversation that a lot of what we're going to see coming down the pike will be driving up your opponent's negatives. And Mm. for Hillary Clinton, this will be a prime target for her opponents to say, do you really trust her? Uh, And especially in a season when so many people are anti-establishment, they want to blow up Washington... Is this the kind of person you want?
2: Yeah, I think you're right about the negative campaigning. I think that's the the way out for both of them, both of the uh, front runners right now who have a number of negatives. Now we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. You're listening to the Costa Report. Every day our world gets more complicated, not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction, and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com, that's RebeccaCosta.com, and order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, you'll be glad you did.
1: This is the news. This morning, we are saluting the 2.2 million women who have joined in the war effort. They now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. The prestigious Harvard Medical School is breaking ground today, opening its doors to new female applicants. Today, little girls all over the world look to the sky, where the first woman is now in space.
5: Military stereotypes are challenged today with the trailblazing
2: promotion of a U.S. female officer to four-star general. It was just announced that the vast majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women.
0: We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women.
4: Cash flows and money move. The Money Moves Show is dedicated to delivering tips and tools to help you earn more, save more, and protect your hard-earned assets. Host Pamela Fugit Hetrick interacts with her guests and callers every Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m recent topics have included what is going on locally with health insurance tips to maximize your social security income how do you build an emergency fund for your family? Medicare 101 tips. How do you choose and pay for home health care? And many other topics. So tune in, take notes, call, and get answers to your financial questions from Pamela Fugit-Hedrick on Money Moves, Thursdays at 7 p.m. That's Money Moves, Thursdays, 7 p.m. on KSEO am 1080 santa cruz and komy 1340 watsonville and 104.1 on your fm dial
2: welcome back to the costa report i'm rebecca costa and my guest today is juan williams And I want to switch gears here. You have a new book out titled We the People, the Modern Day Figures Who Have Reshaped and Affirmed the Founding Fathers' Vision of America. And in this book, you name and describe the work of modern leaders who uh, took the vision of the Founding Fathers, and they were able to adapt that vision to more modern conditions. So tell us about a few of the modern leaders you selected.
3: Well, let me give you the premise, Rebecca, which is that, you know, we've just been talking about the 2016 campaign, and we talk about, you know, the horse race on the Republican side, on the Democratic side, but I was interested in knowing and understanding where some of the big issues that have been driving the campaign come from. Where where do, Why is it that we talk so much about income inequality or trade deals? Or why do we talk about uh, immigration? Why do we talk about those issues in such a such compelling ways that they they, they come to define the way we argue and debate in American society today. So what I did was I went backwards and I started looking at the people who had shaped America, staying within the constitutional framework set by the founding fathers. And I came up with people like Ronald Reagan, uh, who were working with his attorney general, Ed Meese, really said, you know what, we think that courts are too activist, too interventionist. We want conservative jurists who will offer an originalist reading of the Constitution. And then you get people like Justice Scalia. Or you think about people like Milton Friedman, a conservative economist, I might say libertarian, but someone who said, you know what, I don't think that we should even have national parks. I think that a big company should be really about making profits for its shareholders, not about unions, not about workers, but about making profits for shareholders. Customers will come if we deliver a good product. That's in the interest of making profits, but the number one job of any company, making profits. And similarly, on immigration, you go backwards and you find the Kennedy brothers, President Kennedy, his brother, Senator Ted Kennedy, Irish Uh, descendants of Irish immigrants hearing stories about how the Irish were treated in Boston on the late 1800s and saying, we want to change the immigration system to open it up to people from around the globe and increase the number of immigrants. All of these are characters, are stories that are told in We the People and help us to understand how even as the founding fathers would be treated as rock stars, Rebecca, rock stars if they came back, because their constitution has endured for all these years they would be dizzy with all the changes that have occurred and by the way i think one of their big points of just bewilderment would be rebecca costa Oh, my gosh! I listen on the radio, and she knows <laughs> all about the politics. And we got to remember, there were, there were no women signing the Declaration of Independence. There was no Rebecca Costa That's at the right. Constitutional Convention. Rebecca couldn't vote. she couldn't own property. So they would be like, "Wow. Tell us about Rebecca Costa.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I would love to think the Founding Fathers would be interested in little old Rebecca Costa, but I, I think they kind of had some big issues on their mind. But you, but the point that you make is, is correct. Uh, the Founding Fathers took on some very radical issues. And then we have these modern-day leaders that say, We have to go back to their vision, and now we have to adapt that vision to modern conditions. And what does that mean for immigration, income inequality? But in some respects, we almost need a modern leader now to do something similar to what you described in your book relative to technology. Because technology now is racing so far ahead of the infrastructure and some of the principles that we have that we don't quite know how to manage it like for example electronic voting is that is that something we're going to move to and we should be doing people are having i think even uh, this past week they were complaining about some of the manual ballots <laughs> that right. were issued right yeah, and, and can people and 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 can people you know just in terms of like drone warfare where there's no more humans involved, you know what is the policy on uh, un uh, un or driverless cars, you know unmanned uh, vehicles? Um, we, we're our laws are it, our laws feel like they're always trying to catch up.
3: Well, it's just that we live in such a dynamic society. At the start of We the People, I write how there's a high percentage of people who say, you know what, I feel like a stranger in my own country, or what happened to my America? Yes. And of course, you know, the presumption, when you say that these numbers exist, and they are very high, Rebecca, is, oh, it's coming from older conservatives. But guess what? It's, certainly, it's a 60-plus percent of Republicans, but guess what? It's about half of the Democrats and independents. And then it, it's also true that if you ask African Americans, more than half of them say change is this coming too rapidly. I feel alienated sometimes in my own country because there's so much change, demographic change, political change, economic change. So people are trying to get a grip on and understand how do we deal with it. And I think that's why we look back to the Founding Fathers and in We the People, what I try to do is help people understand the roots of this change so that they feel empowered to help shape the change in a more productive way, and that they don't feel that they're just being pushed aside, but that in fact, look, there are other people, flesh and blood, just like you and me, Rebecca, who helped to shape the change in the past, and we can do it again.
2: Yes, but I think what you're talking about is doing it in a methodical, thoughtful way that goes back to the original vision, always going back to what we call in science source material. Right. Right? And, and that's what's so important, because I find that the speed at which we're trying to metabolize social change, legal change, regulations, even um, in any particular industry, they're just overwhelmed by new regulations that are coming at them. And in some ways that they're just really out of breath. And, uh, and, and I think that if we can have our leaders continuously go back to the original vision, that much of this change that we're looking at right now could be edited in some way.
3: Well, I think that's right, and I think that's what you will see. Um, it's, It's hard to apply it in some circumstances. You know, for example, you know, we talk about something like surveillance. That's a big issue right now, this fellow Edward Snowden who reveals so many secrets, you know. But you stop and think, even if I took a ride with Rebecca down the highway, There'd be cameras on the lamppost. If the founding fathers were with us, they'd say, Rebecca, Juan, why are there cameras watching us as we're driving, going about our personal business? And we'd say, oh, that's for red light runners or speeders, George, Thomas Jefferson, and Alexander, (laughs) Hamilton. And they'd say, but you, you have the government surveilling you. They know what you're doing. And I'd say, oh, calm down, guys. But you understand, we do have to, going forward, just what you were talking about, keeping in in mind the spirit of the founders who want to protect our individual liberties and our privacy, we have to decide what is the line in which the government acts to protect us, not only from criminals but terrorists, but at the same time acknowledges our right to privacy and to conduct our affairs uh, with some sense that we are in control of our lives. and But it, it, it requires us always, I think, to go back to the spirit of the founders. And one last thought here. You know, Rebecca, we were talking previously as we were doing our political analysis about the increasing political voice of American women. And in this book, We the People, one of the key elements for me is the tremendous change in the power of American women in my lifetime, that now women are not only a majority in terms of the college students, the graduate students, but they're a majority of the American workforce. This is really a new day. And again, yes. it requires oh. us to understand that they're also the deciding vote as we approach a presidential election.
2: Well, it's about time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have to say about Way that. to go, Rebecca. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I, I, hope, I hope that you'll take a look at the book because I talk about what an amazing revolution has taken place. It's an amazing in, in the book. standing of American
2: women. It's an amazing book. And, uh, you know, I, I've said this in the past, but I'll say it again. Uh, it's one of those books that you pick up and you really don't want to put down. You really want to read all the way through because uh, there's some amazing and compelling stories in there. Do you have a website where listeners can go to get more information about We the People?
3: I can't tell you one off the top of my head. I would go to either... Uh, randomhouse.com or I'm at Twitter at Williams. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's some information there.
2: Okay, terrific. Well, we are all out of time but I want to thank you for your always insightful political analysis. Thank you, Mr. Williams.
3: Thank you, Rebecca, and good luck.
2: Thank you. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to The Costa Report.